Well, today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And you can find this on page 992, I believe, of the, the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. First Timothy chapter 4, 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, exam- set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's word. Please be seated. Having been a pastor now for over a decade, I have observed both in the lives of others and in my own life how easy it can be to chase the wrong things in ministry. It's easy to focus on church attendance and finances as a means to validate one's ministry. It's easy to think that programs and events can be the, the answer for spiritual growth It's easy to become more concerned about our own reputations and forget that everything is meant to be done for God's glory. It's tempting to want to adopt the best practices from the secular world to to help the church operate more effectively. It's tempting to follow the latest trends so that the church will be more attractive to others. There's pressure to prioritize certain social issues and immediate community needs over the constant need of the gospel. There's a subtle pull to want to appease and and please others instead of courageously standing for the truth. All pastors want to be successful, and this desire for success can often tempt us to pursue a variety of means to substantiate our ministry. But There's great danger in this, because when pastors drift off track, the the damage is collateral. When we go off track, we lead people off track as well. And so it's essential that pastors have a clear understanding of what their priorities should be in ministry. What should a pastor prioritize? What is it that a minister of God should focus on in order to be effective in his role in God's church? We get the answer in 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. As we return to this chapter of Scripture, I want you to recall that 
the Apostle Paul was exhorting Timothy, his disciple, and by extension, the church in Ephesus where Timothy was ministering, to train themselves for godliness. Last week, we saw that Paul first talked about the wrong way to train. He warned them not to listen to the demonic teaching of those who had rejected the truth and were prohibiting believers from enjoying God's common grace in an effort to be more spiritual. Instead, Paul encouraged the church to nourish themselves upon the truth of God's Word and focus on living a God-centered life. Now, those instructions, though directed to Timothy, were, were meant for the church in general. But as we get to verse 11 of chapter 4, this section is more specifically directed to Timothy as someone in a position of pastoral authority over God's people. And what we find Paul communicating in these verses are the priorities or the commitments that a pastor should have. Paul essentially says that effective ministers are those who faithfully live and teach God's Word both in public and in private. To be an effective pastor or shepherd of God's people, one needs to focus on living and teaching God's Word in public and in private. Let's dig into that a bit more. We'll first look at the public life of effective minister in verses 11 through 13. Then we'll consider the private life of an effective minister in verses 14 through 16. First, the public life of an effective minister. In verse 11, we find that the first mark of public ministry that all pastors should prioritize is authoritative teaching authoritative teaching. Paul tells Timothy to command and teach these things. The word command is a call to obedience. It's boldly requiring something of someone, and there is a sense of authority behind that word. Timothy was being encouraged to be bold and authoritative. He was also called to teach God's people. Now, note that the minister of God isn't someone who simply issues commands, but he issues commands which are based upon God's truth. The the things that Paul called Timothy to teach were certainly the things he had just written about in the beginning of chapter 4, but these things likely also include all of God's truth that Paul had been communicating in this letter. And so the basis of a minister's authority is the, the truth of God as revealed in his word. Notice also that that he is to teach the truth in order to command obedience to it. The the two imperatives, command and teach, are meant to be taken together. Those positions of authority in the church are not meant to only command, but they're also meant to teach. And they aren't only meant to teach, they're also meant to command. Now, ministers need to be careful that this kind of Authoritative teaching doesn't devolve into authoritarianism. When teaching or preaching begins to convey the idea that the minister himself has authority, it has departed from how the Bible calls pastors to communicate God's Word. Ministers are to preach with authority as those under authority. The authority that we have is only based upon the authority of God and His Word. And... And there is a gentleness 
rather than a harshness that is to accompany the teaching of God's Word. And pastors should teach with an authority that is coupled with gentleness and love. Listen to how Paul described his own teaching ministry among the, the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, he wrote, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Notice the, the gentleness, the, the motherly love with which Paul conducted his ministry. But if you, you keep reading a, a few verses later, he also writes in verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul modeled gentleness and authority in his teaching ministry. He was like a, a gentle mother, but he was also like a strong father. And he called upon Timothy to be the same way in the church. Effective ministers of God must boldly and lovingly proclaim the truth of God as those under the authority of God. The public life of a minister should be marked by authoritative teaching. Next, we see in verse 12 that the effective public ministry of a pastor is also to be marked by exemplary living. It's marked by authoritative teaching, but also exemplary living. When, when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy was likely in his 30s. We know from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey, and that happened around the year A.D. 50. Uh, Timothy must have been at least an older teenager at that time. Uh, most scholars believe that 1 Timothy was written roughly 15 years after that second missionary journey. So at this point in time, Timothy would have been somewhere in his 30s. Now, while that might not seem too young to some of you, Timothy would have still been considered young in the society of his day. Men in those days were grouped into two classes. You had the young men, and then you had the older men or elders. The young men included men up to maybe about age 40 or so. So each of those groups had their own social associations, and so Timothy was still part of the, the younger crowd. And in a, a church situation like Ephesus, which was full of older members, including influential false teachers who were leading people astray, it would have been natural for Timothy to have feelings of inadequacy or uncertainty because of his age. And this was especially true since Paul had just instructed him to teach God's word authoritatively in the church. So knowing that Timothy might be sensitive to how he would be received for his relative youth, Paul encouraged him with these words in verse 12. Hey, look with me there. He wrote, Let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let anyone depreciate you because of your age. Don't let anyone think less of you or underrate you or overlook you. But what? But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The reality is that it is hard for older people to be naturally inclined to accept everything that a young person has to say. 
even if what that person is saying is rooted in God's word. That's just human nature. But what wins younger people a hearing with others in the church is if they live their lives with a certain maturity and godliness. The antidote to feeling underappreciated or disrespected or undervalued, it's an exemplary life. Everyone respects a life of demonstrated integrity. And so Paul listed five areas in which ministers like Timothy should seek to be an example. First, ministers are to be exemplary in their speech. What does that look like? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 4, just for a moment. Ephesians 4. Turn back a few books in your Bible to Ephesians 4 and look down with me in Ephesians 4 at verse 25. In Ephesians 4, 25, Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So what does exemplary speech look like? Well, first, ministers are to speak what is true and not what is false. And then if you go down to verse 29 in Ephesians 4, you'll see that Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of their mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the kind of speech that should flow out of the mouth of a pastor is speech that is true and edifying. It, it builds up and it's appropriate. It, it fits the occasion and gracious and kind. It's, it's not false or corrupting or filled with bitterness and anger or slander or malice. And I would say that this applies to one's email communications and texts and social media presence as well. Even the memes or the, the gifs or the jests or the casual messages that a pastor sends should be exemplary. Ministers need to model pure speech. The second, ministers are to be exemplary in their conduct. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says ministers are to be exemplary in their conduct. And this refers to the general lifestyle of a pastor. He is to be above reproach, but he shouldn't just be known for what he avoids. He should also be known for what he pursues. He should be a man of good deeds, who serves others, and who sacrifices for others, who helps in the, the community, and who disciplines himself for the sake of godliness. It, it is impossible for a minister to live perfectly, but his life shouldn't regularly be unsaying what he is saying in his teaching. And so Paul is saying here, in word and in deed, in, in speech and in action, ministers of the gospel should be exemplary. They should also be exemplary in their love. And that almost goes without saying, but a minister must love the Lord and love people around him. He should take an interest in others. He should care for others. He should feel for the needs of others. A fourth, a minister should be exemplary in faith. He is to demonstrate a strong and abiding trust in the Lord. He believes that God's promises are, are real and they'll come to pass. And then finally, a minister should be exemplary in purity. He should be a man of sexual purity but also purity of motive and heart. This is the, the kind of life that Paul called Timothy to live. 
because if you notice someone who is careful about their speech and consistently good in how they act and full of love and faith and pure at heart, you'll naturally want to, to hear from him or her. And that kind of lifestyle is attractive. It makes people want to grab a meal with you or have a conversation with you. It inclines them to listen to you, even if you're younger. And so let this be an encouragement to you who are younger in the church, who even feel younger in the church, but maybe want to have more influence. Maybe you feel like you want more opportunities to, to teach. Maybe you want to have influence in the sense that you want a spouse and you want to have a family. Maybe you wish you could just generally have more impact on others. Maybe you feel a bit out of place because you recently graduated from college and you were doing so much in your college ministry, but now you're in a church where there are people closer to your parents' age than your age. Let me encourage you to stop focusing on what you can or can't do or, or what you do or don't have. Instead, focus on your godliness. Focus on being encouraging in your speech and, and really intentional in your way of life and and loving others by being involved in their lives and trusting in, in the Lord and being pure in heart and thought. And then just serve the Lord in whatever ways he, he opens up for you to serve, whatever ways he, opportunities he puts in front of you. And if you do that, I, I trust that your influence is going to grow. People will, will start asking you to serve in different ministries. The opposite sex will begin to notice you. you know, people will want you to share your thoughts. And so this verse is really a good checklist for all of us to review. Sure, Paul is writing to, to Timothy as a minister to God's people, but these are truths we should all hear but, because we should all be doing ministry as believers in different ways. So, so ask yourself, how is my speech right now? How, how is my communication online or through my phone? How's my conduct? How's my love? How's, how's my faith? How's my purity? All people who minister in God's name should pursue an exemplary life. The public life of an effective minister of God is marked by authoritative teaching and exemplary living. It's also marked by being a holy biblical ministry. We see this in verse 13. An effective minister has and holy biblical ministry. We already saw that Paul instructed Timothy to command and teach God's truth in verse 11. Here in verse 13, Paul gets even more specific and calls upon Timothy to focus on three activities which were present in the worship services of the church. Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy was devoted to these things and would keep on giving himself to them because though Tim Paul intended to visit Ephesus, he knew that there was a possibility he might be de delayed. He wrote about that back in chapter 3, verse 15. So while he was away or until he was able to come to them, he wanted to make sure that Timothy prioritized three particular things in his ministry. And, and you don't see this clearly in the English, but in the Greek there is an article in front of each of these activities that Paul is writing about here. Literally it says, until I come, devote yourself to the reading, the exhortation, and the teaching. And this definitizing indicates that there were, that these were activities that were recognized by the congregation, likely because 
they were elements in their worship services. And that's why many modern English translations add the word public to verse 13 to help highlight that the public congregational nature of Paul's focus here. And the first thing Paul wanted Timothy to keep on doing was to read Scripture publicly. In, in those days, just remember that the lay people didn't have access to the Scriptures. So it was common practice in the Jewish synagogues for the Old Testament Scriptures to be read. And we see this in Jesus's and the apostles' ministries when they entered and taught in the synagogues. The early church kept the same tradition of reading the Old Testament, but they would also read available New Testament writings in their corporate worship gatherings as well. The, the church was committed to reading God's Word together because they didn't have access to it and they knew they needed to hear from it. Now, even though we have access to the Bible in so many different formats today, we, we too need to hear God's Word read. Because many of us may have God's Word, but we actually don't read it much during the week. And even if we do read it, we still benefit when we read it together and come under its authority together as God's people. The, the reading of God's word in public services is to help us collectively know God and learn to fear God and cause us to be careful to do what he says. And this was so important that Paul mentions it as the first thing that Timothy must devote himself to in the public services of the church. Unfortunately, many churches today seem to have forgotten the importance of Scripture reading. Sometimes Scripture is only briefly referenced in an entire worship service. The Bible is assumed, but it's not explicitly read. And that becomes a form of silent instruction. You see, when the, the Bible is read in churches... It shapes the church to expect to hear from God's word. And, and it roots everything else that is said or, or sung or, or prayed or that just happens in the church around God's word. It trains us to respect God's word. But when the Bible isn't read in the church, it also shapes the church. It shapes the church to think of the Bible as secondary to our interpretations of it. It starts to move the authority in the church away from God and toward church leaders. It tempts us to make our own thoughts and our ideas the driving force of church growth. And so we must remain committed as a church to read the scriptures in our services. We need and should want to hear what God has said. We should yearn to be shaped as a church by God's word. So when we read scripture on, on Sunday mornings, don't allow a, yourself to think of it as just a warm-up to the sermon. Right? Rather, as a congregant, devote yourself as well to the public reading of Scripture as you listen to it attentively and, and carefully and worshipfully and, and humbly and with a heart to want to apply it to your life. Uh, in, in our services, after we read Scripture, you will usually hear one of us pastors say something like, may, may God bless the reading of his word, or this is the word of God, may he impress its internal truths upon your hearts, or thanks be to God for his holy word. And, and those phrases are meant to remind us that what we have just read and heard are the words of the, of the living God. And as his people, we are coming together to, on Sundays to submit ourselves under those truths. So effective ministers devote themselves to the reading of Scripture in worship. They also devote themselves to exhortation. So Paul was calling Timothy to be devoted to making an appeal to the will of others calling for a response from others. And 
And this word exhortation is just another way to refer to preaching. All preaching should involve exhortation. In preaching, the minister of God takes the word of God, which is meant to be read in the congregation, then he explains the word and applies it. Again, this is what Jesus did in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. He read from the scripture, then he explained it, and he applied it. And it generated a strong response from the people that heard. This is what preaching is meant to do. This is what expository preaching is. It is the explaining and applying of Scripture with the goal of generating a response in those who hear. And Paul was saying, Timothy, devote yourself to this kind of preaching. Exhort people to obey God's word. And finally, Paul called Timothy to devote himself to teaching as well. And, and teaching is a more generic term that encompasses the necessary doctrinal instruction that should be part of a church's ministry. Uh, this can come in the service through reading and preaching and through prayers and through songs. It can come through other classes or means of instruction in the church, but the minister of God must be devoted to teaching and instructing his people. Again, we see that Paul's entire emphasis here in verse 13 is for Timothy to focus on putting the word of God before God's people. Now, I want you to know that Paul isn't providing a comprehensive list of what should be done in the church here. We, we know that the early church also prayed and they sang and they observed the ordinances like the Lord's Supper and communion. Paul isn't providing an exhaustive order of service here. Rather, what he was doing was telling Timothy that he needed to focus first and foremost on these things in the church. Make sure the Bible is read and people are fed and people are exhorted with the truth of God in such a way that they are forced to respond. You could summarize this by simply saying that Paul wanted Timothy to make sure that his public ministry was a biblical ministry. Too many churches hide the word of God in a salad of jokes and stories and political opinions and cultural commentary and positive messages, but Paul was telling Timothy, give the people of God the meat that they need and they crave. Give them the word. Devote yourself to doing that work. This is the mandate for ministers of God. This is what pastors have to do. And this is really how every ministry in the church should operate. The, the word of God is to be central, whether it's Sunday service or Sunday school or small groups or student ministries. It is the word that has power and, and the word that should be our focus. Okay, so the public life of an effective minister of God is marked by authoritative teaching, exemplary living, and a biblical ministry. But that's not all a minister should be mindful of. It can be tempting for a minister to focus only on what he does when he's with the church. It can be tempting to just think of ministry as a job or role that needs to be publicly performed. But Paul reminded Timothy that he also needed to make sure that he had paid attention to his own private life. And so we see Paul describing the private life of an effective minister to Timothy in verses 14 through 16. Well, we move from the public life to the private life of an effective minister. First, we see that Paul called Timothy to make continual progress in the use of his gifting in verses 14 through 15. The private life of an effective minister is marked by continual progress in, in his gifting. Continual progress in gifting. So in verse 14, Paul writes, Do not neglect the gift you have. 
He was telling Timothy not to grow careless about the gift he was giving, given. He was basically telling Timothy, use your gift. Now, what was that gift? Well, it was a spiritual gift of some kind, but we aren't actually told specifically what it was in Scripture. We do know, however, that Timothy was uniquely gifted by God for ministry. If you were to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul told him there to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Right? This gift that Timothy had was given to him by God for ministry. It was meant to be, to be used. And we also know that it, when it was given, Paul and other elders laid their hands on him. Here, the elders and Paul were transferring leadership authority to Timothy as they commissioned him for ministry. And this was all accompanied by a word from God, a, a prophecy Paul wrote. What we have here is an early version of ordination unto ministry. And what we see in Timothy's ordination is that he was uniquely gifted for ministry by God. He was confirmed in his gifting by other trusted men. And he was called into ministry by God. And this is really a pattern for all ministers of the Lord. Uh, none of us get to feel the Apostle Paul's hands on us, and God doesn't issue prophecies every time he calls someone to serve him today. And we probably won't be as gifted as Timothy was, but gifting and calling and confirmation are things that men who desire to serve the Lord as pastors and missionaries should make sure they have. And Paul was reminding Timothy of this milestone event in his life, his ordination, because he wanted Timothy to remember that God had equipped him and called him to do the work that was before him. For a minister to know that they have been called and confirmed and, and gifted is an amazing boost of confidence to keep on serving the Lord and his people faithfully. So Paul told Timothy, use the gift that God has given you. Don't neglect it. And we see in verse 15 that Paul said, practice these things. What things? Well, the things that he's been writing about in these verses, authoritative teaching, godly living, scripture reading, faithful preaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Literally, be in them. Be absorbed in them. Give yourself wholly to these things. This is a, a call for pastors to work hard. This is a call for ministers to put in the time to study and teach and live out God's word. You know, I, I've been reading a, a little bit about um, recently about pastors who are currently debating the merits of AI in ministry. And some are, are very against it, and others are actively encouraging pastors to use things like ChatGPT in their ministry so that they can be more efficient with their time and do more for the kingdom. Now, at this relatively early stage in the game, I'm not 100% against using any AI in ministry. You know, I could see some areas where it might be potentially helpful, but ministers of God's word need to understand that efficiency is not necessarily our chief concern. There is a glorious and godly work that is done in the very inefficient wrestling with a biblical text and going to the throne of God in prayer and meditating upon the word of God so it flows into one's life that gets eliminated when you let a computer do the work for you. As pastors, we are to immerse ourselves in the work of biblical ministry. Why? Well, so that all may see your progress, Tim Paul writes. 
Right? Paul is telling Timothy, you shouldn't think that he has arrived. None of us are, are there yet. All pastors are a work in progress. And that means that we're going to make mistakes and we need to be honest about our weaknesses and areas in which we need to grow. This is also a reminder for ministers of the gospel not to be discouraged when some sermons fall flat and some lessons are just a little bit too boring. But over the course of time, we should be demonstrating progress. Pastors should be getting better as preachers and teachers because they have put in the effort. They should be getting better at handling God's word because they've worked hard to understand and and live it. And so there is a a public side to the progress of a minister's gifting. Others should be able to spot improvement and growth and depth and wisdom over time. But the private side is what Paul focused on here. During the week, when everyone wonders what pastors are actually doing, they should be spending time in the Word and progressing in the use of the gifts that God has given them for the sake of the church. So the private life of an effective minister is marked by continual progress in his gifting. And it's marked by one other thing, one other thing. We see this in verse 16. The private life of a minister of God should also be one of constant attention to life and doctrine. The private life of an effective minister should be marked by constant attention to life and doctrine. So in in verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, watch yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And, And there's a balanced watchfulness to Paul's command here. Ministers can't afford to only watch their lives. They also need to make sure that their doctrine isn't going the way of the world. And and they also can't be so focused on theology and Bible interpretation that they allow other things to grow lax in their personal lives. Pastor needs to watch his life and his doctrine. And and, and that's really what Paul has been saying all along in, in all of these verses, right? In public and in private, watch your life and watch your teaching. And he writes, persist in this For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that we are ultimately responsible for spiritual salvation. We know from the rest of the Bible that that is God's work. God is the one who saves. But Paul is saying that when we properly live and and teach the gospel, we work out our salvation as ministers of God, and, and we persevere in our journey of faith and thus prove that we ourselves are saved. And when we properly live and teach the glorious gospel that Jesus died for your sins, we become the means or, or the, the agents that God uses to bring about salvation in the lives of those who hear us preach and teach. And that is an extraordinary privilege. That's why being a pastor is a, is a noble calling. That's why I hope some of you men will consider it. When you do ministry the right way, you get a front row seat to seeing God do his saving work in people. And that's really what a successful ministry is all about. It's about being a means for God to do his work in the lives of people. And to be that proper agent through whom God's work, through whom God works, we need to teach authoritatively and live as examples and be thoroughly biblical in our ministry and work hard to use the gifts that God has given and constantly watch our own lives and our doctrine. Because if we drift off track and we chase the wrong things in ministry, we hinder the gospel. We prevent God from doing his saving work through us. So it's essential that we all understand the priorities or the commitments that 
a pastor should have. There are so many things in this world that can entice pastors away from the commitments that Paul has advocated for in these verses. But ministers of God need to know that effectiveness in ministry comes when we faithfully live and teach God's word in public and in private. So what can you do if, if you're not a pastor? Well, one, pray for your leaders. Pray for us to be these kinds of men. Many of you have signed up to pray for us and our families this year. And we are so grateful for that. Let this be a list of recurring, pastor, uh, recurring requests for all the pastors and elders at Redeemer. Pray that we would teach with authority, that we would live excellently, that we would do ministry biblically, that we would work hard, and that we would watch ourselves. First, pray for us. Second, you can also think of how these truths apply to your own ministry. You might not be a pastor, but many of you are Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and have influence in your home and in other areas. Are you bold with God's word? How's your speech and your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity? Is your ministry rooted and grounded and focused on scripture? Do you work hard in your service to God? Or have you been a little lazy? Are you watching over your own life? Okay, so think about how this applies to your own ministry. And then finally, if you're young and you're eager to do something for the Lord, don't be discouraged. Just keep on living a godly life and trust that God will open doors for you to have influence in the lives of others in due time. Now, I know that I said we should be careful as pastors as we think about using AI, but I couldn't help doing some testing this week as I was thinking about that topic and pastoral ministry in this particular text. And there was some helpful stuff that came out of my brief foray into some of AI's current capabilities. And, and so I'd like to close our time with a poem that I cobbled together with the help of AI, along with some of my own words and in many edits. Okay. So let's call this O Pastor. Oh, pastor, with your big ambitions to grow your church in numbers, be careful of the path you're on, for God knows there are many blunders. Always searching for something new, always looking for a different way to promote your church and its message through social media and the latest craze. You chase the crowds with promises of riches and great blessing, but when they come, they soon discover that their souls need true refreshing. You've turned your church into a business with profits as your goal. You've forgotten that your flock is precious and it's their souls that need to be whole. Oh, pastor, with a heart for programs, you love to plot and scheme to create new events and gatherings and keep people occupied, it seems. But oh, dear pastor, please take heed. Don't let your programs take the lead for true discipleship is grown in relationships deeply sown. Oh, pastor, pastor, why do you try to be so hip and cool? Your congregation sees right through, and you look just like a fool. You wear your jeans tight, your sneakers bright, you text with gifs, you know all the memes. But we don't need the latest slang or to watch a fashion show. We just want a man who will help us, Christ, to know. Oh, pastor, shepherd of the flock, your sermon's filled with political talk. You preach of parties left and right, but forget the gospel's guiding light. Your flock is 
tired of all the strife. They long to hear of eternal life, of love and grace and peace and joy instead of another political ploy. Oh, pastor, can you focus? Listen to the words of Paul. Prioritize the word of God and be faithful to your call. Be an example of Christian love and faith. Be pure in all your life and let those things testify against any who might cause you strife. Oh, pastor, minister of God, don't fret about programs and trends, but give us the word of truth, for on that our salvation depends. We are praying for your progress, so work hard with your spiritual gift that all may see your growth and the glory to God we might lift. Be a pastor with the right priorities, a shepherd, true and kind, who leads your flock to living waters and helps them eternal peace to find. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for gifting your church with men who are called to do the work of the ministry. It is such a noble calling and privilege to, to pastor and shepherd the flock. But we do pray that you would raise up men in the church that, that do your work the right way, that live exemplary lives and, and preach with authority that is based upon your word. Help us as pastors and elders here at Redeemer to watch our lives, to watch our doctrine, to work hard uh, so that you might use us as a means for the salvation of many. We pray these things in the name of the great pastor of our souls, the great shepherd of our souls, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.